See, that's why you don't want someone like me handling these. <laughs> we didn't know all the things that would come out of our hearts. We didn't realize that Satan would be so precise in his targeting the people of God and the church of God to try to rip us apart from one another. We didn't know a mask could do that or a vaccination could do that. We didn't realize that our own idols that we build in our own minds of what we think is important would suddenly have us on the brink of forgetting to love one another and encourage one another and build one another up and to speak love and understanding that we're never going to always agree. But that doesn't mean that we should stop loving. We didn't know that Satan had a master plan. And at the center and at the target would be the church itself. And we let our guard down. And he came storming in. But I also realize that what Satan intended for evil, God truly intends for good. It would be a awakening. It would be a cleansing. It would be a restoration and a restoring. And it would be a cry out, maybe like never before in our country, God, heal your church. Heal your people. Give me your heart. I thought I had it. I didn't know, God, how far off I was. So God is, again, opening our eyes to the reality of our own hearts and the reality of our enemy. And in the midst of that, God said, but I still have a mission for you. The mission of God. Now, a lot of theologians will tell you there's a lot of missions of, of God. It's a mission of transformation, and it's a mission of encouragement, and it's a mission of building the earth. But the Bible defines one definitive mission of God. And all the other ones are secondary to that. It's a mission of seeing lost people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. The Bible literally says that Christ came to seek and to save the lost. I love the announcement. And if you guys heard the first sermon, you're going to say it's a little different. I always do that because I only have big bullet points. And everything else is I just go. <laughs> But I love the announcements of the angels, right? For unto you, in the city of David, a child is born. And he shall save his people. For I bring you good tidings of great news. Savior of the world was born. God wrapped in human flesh, we call God incarnate, came into our reality and said, no matter what the enemy does, no matter what he throws at you, I have the answer, for I am the answer, and I will give myself for you so that you may overcome the world.
right? Do not be troubled and do not lose hope. For I have overcome the world. So unto that, God calls us into his mission. So I'm just going to read. We're going to take two texts this morning. I also realized this from my first, from the first service. Sometimes when I'm reading a word, I forget how rich the word is. And that, that sounds funny for a pastor, right? To forget how rich the word is. You know, I can simply read the word and let the word do the work. No, we're not going to do that. Then why would you pass? <laughs> yeah, that's a joke. Laugh. <laughs> so I want to read the word. I want you to listen. Maybe say, God, I want to throw everything out and I want to hear the word through the power of your spirit like I've never heard before. Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10, and we're going to jump quickly over to Matthew 9. 35 through 38. So we have two texts, and then we're going to merge it all together, and I'm going to hopefully give you some points about this mission of God. This is one of the greatest stories in the Bible. In these few verses, we learn more about Zacchaeus than we know about most of Jesus' disciples. Just think about that. So here's what the word says. Luke 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and was rich. I love when the Bible gives us, like, why do we need to know that? Well, if you look at the context of his story, it follows a rich young ruler, the blind beggar, when Jesus is on his way to Jericho, and then he enters into Jericho. You should read all three of those stories together. We know about the rich young ruler. Zacchaeus would probably be the exact opposite of the rich young ruler. He was rich too. The Bible says they were both rich, but their response to Jesus were drastically different. So we know that tax collectors weren't good people. We know that they were thieves, most of them, and to become a chief tax collector, to become a partner with the Roman government to defraud your own people was not a good thing, and they were not highly thought of. But listen to this. This incredible sinner, as we might call them. We could probably have different people we would put in the category today. But in this day, this was one of the greatest sins, the constant defrauding of the poor, taking from those who had nothing to become rich. He would be a very hated person, even in our circle today, beyond belief. This guy who was a sinner says, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. I think we forget that sinners, who we are still sinners, even though we have Christ, we're just in a different, we're saints who still struggle with sin. We're talking, here you're talking about someone who's completely apart from the Lord, right? This person who is completely apart from the world, Lord, is looking for Jesus. I just want you to take that for one minute and think about it. We might want to throw other names in. Maybe he's an addict. Maybe addicted to porn. Maybe he's an abuser or she's an abuser. 
Maybe they're just a downright thief, a liar, someone you can't trust. But think of the worst outcast in the Jewish mind, tax collector who sided with Roman. But he was looking to see who Jesus was. See, sometimes because of what we see on the outside, we forget what may be happening on the inside. We categorize people and we say they're hopeless and they're lost. But it said he was looking. And then it said, but on the, oh, how does it say? But on account of the crowd, he could not. Because he was small in stature. I love that. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Actually, it doesn't tell us if it's talking about Zacchaeus or Jesus. I don't know which one was small in stature. Just says, we all think it's, we all think it's Zacchaeus. No one wants to think Jesus small in stature. <laughs> I think it's Zacchaeus. But here's something that caught my attention. The crowd. Oh, the crowd. If you read the story of the blind beggar right before this, the guy said, what's going on? I hear a noise. They said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me in the crowd. Shut up. Jesus doesn't have time for you. Why would you think Jesus had time for a beggar? And the Bible said, but he shouted all the louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, stop. Bring him to me. And he said, what do you want of me? He said, Lord, I want to see. He said, receive your sight. See, oftentimes we're the crowd. We have the people who want to know about Jesus, but we have already decided they're not worthy of him. So we tell them to be quiet and shut up. Why do you think Jesus would want to listen to you? So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree. More than likely, it'd probably be sycamores were very small, small trees. So it'd be just enough to get over the crowd. And a short little guy would be easy for him to climb. Some people would even call them bushes, but they were trees. Shrubs, probably. Big ones. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he heard and came down and received him joyfully. See, what Zacchaeus didn't know, that when Jesus was passing, he already knew that Zacchaeus would be there. And Zacchaeus didn't have to yell at him. Jesus stopped and said, Zacchaeus, come down here. Come down here. I'm going to stay with you. For I must stay at your house today. And the Bible says Zacchaeus received him joyfully. This horrible sinner was looking for the Savior. 
Someone that would give him hope again. Maybe breathe life into him again. Maybe someone that would restore to him. See, he was a Jewish boy who grew up. He knew the Bible. He knew the Torah. He had studied it. He knew, maybe this is the one. I know I made a mess of my life. I know that they don't think there's anything good in me. But maybe he does. Maybe the new rabbi would welcome me back. And when they saw it, the crowd, they all grumbled. He's going to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I defraud anyone of anything, I give it back fourfold. I give it all back. I'm not the rich young ruler who left sad. I'll give it. Lord, I'll give it back. Because I need something more than this. I love Jesus. And Jesus said to him, today's salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham, since he actually has a heart for God and he wants to have a relationship with God. Salvation has come. And then Jesus looked at them and said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I don't know about you guys, But when we judge people and think they don't have any worth or dignity, and we don't think that Jesus died for them, we absolutely miss the mission of God. It doesn't matter how great their sin is. Now, dealt with me to Matthew 9, 35. Well, I'm sure, I promise, we'll tie all this together. So Matthew 9 is an interesting chapter, one of my favorites in the Bible. If you read the whole chapter, it's just full of really cool things. In this chapter, Jesus healed a, a paralytic from birth. He calls Matthew. He restores a girl's life. He heals a woman who has been bleeding. He heals two blind men. He casts out the demon of a man unable to speak. And he teaches on a concept of fasting. And then after that, we get this statement. And Jesus, verse 35, went throughout the, all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogue and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest. So this great chapter of all these miraculous things, and Jesus is doing all these things. And then he looked at his disciples. He said, you know what? The harvest is plentiful. 
It's the laborers who have become few. We don't have enough laborers anymore. We don't want people, we don't have people who want to go into the crowd. Go into the worst of places. We don't have any. We don't have enough. Would you earnestly pray to God for laborers? And so there's a lot of things we have to try to unlayer. I don't know about you guys, but I think if this area is any, anything like the area I'm from, New Philadelphia, Ohio, it's a small town. We have a lot of issues. We have a rampant drug addiction problem, human trafficking. The highway that runs right through us is one of the busiest human trafficking highways in the United States. We have a horrible problem with opioids, homeless. We have good church people who don't know the Lord. We have white-collar workers who are as far from Jesus as a prostitute on the street is. I can just go, we have moms who need because they have kids out of wedlock and they don't know where to turn. We have kids who have been abandoned in a foster care system, in an adoption system that desperately need to be loved. We have a world crying. We have people struggling with identity. We have people starting to hate each other again because of the color of their skin. We can just go on and on and it can be placed. And into that mess, Jesus said, but the harvest is plentiful. If you only look at the outside, you'll miss what I see. You'll miss it. You'll miss the fact that there are people desperate to be loved. There are people desperate for the gospel. And when I say gospel, let's get clear. The gospel is really clear. It's the power of God unto salvation. That Romans 1.16, right? Is it 1.16 or 1.8? Romans 1.16. <laughs> for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for the power of God unto salvation to whoever believeth, to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's a good news. It's someone who is seeking hope and help, and they all of a sudden realize that the only hope is through Jesus Christ the Lord. And they say, yes. Lord, I don't even know what it means, but I know I need you. Lord, I know there's something missing in here. That's all Zacchaeus knew. There was something broken. He was rich beyond what most Jews would ever dream of. But he said, I'll give that all away. I'll give it back. Because something's broken in here. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. Brings us to Missions Week, right? 
There's a couple of things we're going to have to understand if we're actually going to be effective in joining God in the mission of God. First and foremost, we have to understand that the fundamental mission of God is to seek lost people. I don't know about you guys. There may not be a ton of them in here. Now, there might be some. They might just be hiding it very well. But mostly, you're probably not getting a ton of lost people in here. So how many of you are willing to intentionally say, God, I want to have an impact on lost people? This is part of our problem with missions. I love missionaries. I guess I am a missionary in a way. <laughs> there are around 7 million people who've never heard the gospel. Now, I don't mind going to places where the gospel has been proclaimed. I think that's needed too. But I know one thing. If there are 7 billion people, not 7 billion, how many people are on earth now? 3 billion. 7 million or something like that. What's a 361? I forget the number. I was just looking at it, I forgot. Might be 7 million people who've never heard the gospel. Do you think 7 million people are worth hearing the gospel? Maybe you get to think, maybe, maybe we should send some people there too. To those 7 million people who've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ever. I know they might not be the right color. Their skin might be. Maybe they have a weird language. And maybe they're pretty hostile to Christianity right now. I know that. I know that's where the vast majority of them are at. Maybe we have a cool name for them. Muslims. Maybe deep in our heart we hate them because we've listened to everything on the news about them. I know that seven million people have never heard the gospel. Want to know what else I know? There's probably people in Kenya and Sedona in this whole area who've never heard the gospel. And you may say, that's probably not true. Maybe they heard a form of the gospel, but they maybe never seen the gospel lift out in life. So how many of you guys are willing to first say, Lord, help me intentionally have relationship with lost people, regardless of color, creed, or anything else. Anything else. Regardless of what I think about them, God, give me a heart to love them. God, give me a heart to not want to see them. Some, sometime, we call them refugees. Well, how dare they come to our border? And I'm not talking political. I could really care less where you stand politically on this. I'm not political at all. I believe that God ordains government. I pray for it. And I love this country. I'm a patriot. I'd rather be live in no other country. Probably because I never really lived in any other country. But I love America. I thank God I'm here. But I do think that when Christian people hate people because of politics, there's a problem. I don't really care where you stand. I know one thing, the kingdom of God is bigger. 
than the kingdom of America or any other country on this planet. And I will never bow myself to the kingdom of man in place above the kingdom of God. So maybe I have to have a heart to seek and save the lost. Maybe my prayer is, can I be a shepherd? I mean, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Did you guys catch that? So I don't know much about shepherds. So I went and studied them. And I studied sheep. Sheep aren't bright, but they're loyal. They're not bright. And I realized they're not real smart. They just go towards danger. They don't even understand until it's too late. Right? That's what people are doing. They're going towards danger. And they don't even know how dangerous it is. And we are to be shepherds. And hey, wait. The path you're on right now is going to lead you to destruction. Can we talk about that? Do you know God's mission is always couched in two things, truth and love. And they're never out of balance. They're always both there all the time. I will never compromise the truth of the gospel, and I will always share it in the love of Christ. I will never stand. How many of you guys are truth people? Stand on the truth. And I'm going to tell you the truth, and I don't care if you like me or not, and I'm going to turn or burn. I'm going to stand in a street corner. Repent or die and go to hell. I'm going to have a big megaphone. Oh, I'm going to give you a track. You're going to die and go to hell. And then I'm going to walk away because I told you the truth. Right? But there was absolutely no love. And then we wonder why people don't hear us. You ever notice that Jesus could do the truth in love without compromise? You ever notice that? Hey, tell me your story. Hmm. Well, where's your husband? I know, the one you have right now. What about the woman caught in adultery? Where are those who condemn you? Nor do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Maybe if we just started doing the truth in love. Also notice that Jesus actually went to people. He's going to Zacchaeus' house. When's the last time you intentionally said, I'm going to go where sinners hang out? Not me, not my kids. I'm not even going to let them be in public school. <laughs> I don't care if you go to public school or private school. I, really don't. I just like throwing those things out every once in a while. Sometimes we need to have private school when the world gets too dark. But we can't be fearful. But you ought to pray about it. God, where do you want my kid to go to school? Help me to know that. Because if the harvest is more profitable for them to be in public school, God, help me raise them so they can do that well. God, if they're too fragile right now, they need solid biblical training. Help me to know that. Are we going to the places where sinners live? When's the last time? I remember when I was in Moody, they had a ministry, and my, I had a, what they call practical Christian ministry. I had to pick my ministry. Well, I got there too late. They said, we assigned you one. 
I said, okay, cool. They said, but it starts at like one in the morning. I said, one in the morning? That's past my curfew at Moody. They said, you get out on this. This one, you can go out. I said, okay, what is it? Well, it's a ministry of male prostitutes. What? I just came to learn to be a pastor. Like, what do you mean, a ministry of male prostitutes? That was my PCM. I met some of the most incredible people. Young men who were just lost, selling their bodies for money. That was more heartbreaking the people who were buying them. I made some friends. Had a lot of coffees, bought a lot of dinners. And I realized all those men were evil people. They were just caught in the schemes of Satan. And they needed the gospel. Did all of them get saved? No. Did a few? Yes. Praise be to God. I didn't like that PCM when they first told me. It may have been one of the most impactful PCM I had while I was at Moody Bible Institute. Change my life because it changed how I saw people. See, when we go and we see, we start to realize, just like Zacchaeus, maybe his heart wasn't as dark as his sin appeared that it would be. Maybe his heart was just ready for the gospel and to be transformed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe God was going to invite me into this, this process as his mouthpiece. And I got to tell the story of Jesus and God got to do the transformational work. We have to understand God's mission. We have to be shepherds. We have to not see people with our eyes, but with our hearts and the spirit of God. Next, we have to figure out what we have to do, you personally. I love in Colossians 4, 3 and 4, Paul said, pray that a door will be open for us for the word. And then pray that I may proclaim it clearly. Paul, like Paul needs to pray for an open door for the gospel. Of all people, Paul, come on. Crazy, but that's exactly what he prayed. Pray for an open door. How many of you guys are praying for an opportunity for the gospel? And then that you may proclaim it as God wants you to. Because he knows the hearts are going to. He knows how they need to hear it. Some of them, do, they do need a very bold and in their face. Others need an arm around their shoulders saying, hey, you need a cup of coffee? Can we talk? Some of them need kindness first and patience. And some of them just need to be, hey, man, you're going to die if you don't turn your life around. But God knows exactly how we need to proclaim it. That's why we have to be dependent on the Holy Spirit in this harvest field. We don't know. We think we know, but we don't. What about local right here in this area? How many opportunities are in this area for the gospel? How many of you guys think? Are there a lot? Yeah. You don't need 
Like some of you, God's going to call to go to those 7 million people. And praise God, some of you is going to call you to stay right here. But you don't get out like in another thing, side tag. And I'm going to get done soon. I know I stepped on enough toes, but that's sidebar. Giving missions is extremely important. But it doesn't release you of the responsibility of being a sent one. It doesn't release you from that. You can, you can support sent one, but you also have to be a sent one. You got to do both. They walk hand in hand. Support those. If you can't go and you have a heart for Muslim ministry, support someone who's going. Support people who are going to, the, to those that have never heard. Support people that God lays on your heart. But also go. I tell people in our church all the time, I have a vision for our church. Every person in the Branch Church, Ohio, in the next few years will personally go on a mission trip. I don't care if it's a two-day one or a two-week one. But even more important, every person in the Branch Church, Ohio, will have a personal ministry in their area, in their community. Every person. So what has God called you to locally? And are you doing it? Pray for boldness. How many of you guys are fearful? You know, do not be afraid is the most quoted man in the Bible. Jesus even said, do not be troubled and do not be afraid for I have overcome the world. How many of you guys need to be praying for boldness? How many of you guys are just too comfortable and you need to be prayed out of your comfort? How many of you guys are willing to let your kids go? The missions trip. <laughs> I should stop. To that seven million group. I'm not saying go there forever, just to go. Inner cities of Chicago. No one. That's more dangerous, right? Not going there. <laughs> How many of you guys want your friends to intentionally, or your children to intentionally build friendship with lost people? Like you, you encourage that. And you, and you protect them, and you, but you encourage that they would have some friends who are lost. And you encourage them to bring them home. You might hear language that you're not used to. Would you be okay with that for the sake of the gospel? Now, there are some areas, I meant some parameters you have to set. There's certain things you're not going to tolerate, right? But someone who maybe have a little bit of a foul mouth shouldn't be there. That should not stop you from the gospel. So I have a couple takeaways, and these, this is what it is. And this is what it is. That's really poor English. I don't care. A couple takeaways. One, God is responsible, responsible for the outcome. You are responsible for the work. We. That's the responsibility is outcome. We are responsible for the work. I hear people saying, why is my community not turning around? Well, how many, how many of us are earnest prayers for salvation? I mean, earnest prayers. We spend a lot of time on our knees for salvation of souls. And you think it's just going to happen. We think 
God, why don't you just magically do all the work? You saved us. Do you know why God didn't take us, by the way? Why do you think he didn't take us? <laughs> what? Amen. There's work to be done. He didn't take us. He cut up. He said, no, now you go and be my witnesses. That's why everyone loves the great commission, right? Go and make disciples. It comes after all the other stuff. It comes after all the other stuff. So, God's responsible for the outcome. You're responsible for the work. Don't let complacency blind you to the lostness of souls. When you guys go to wherever you're going, whether it be to eat or a store, do you know the majority of the people you will interact with are lost? They're what I call zombies, walking dead people. And as a kid, I wanted to marry a zombie. That's all I, my friends would tell you. I thought they were cool. And as I watch more zombie movies, especially, yeah. I said, I'm not really sure I want to marry a zombie. See, the problem is we don't understand that people are walking around us and they're dead. And they are lifeless because they have no life. They have existence without life. That's exactly the definition of a zombie. But Jesus says that I've come that you may have what? Life. I don't know about you guys. I don't know why. Sometimes they bring me here and I say, I'm the right guy. I don't know if I'm the right guy or not. But I do tell you one thing. Everything I just said to you, I've been guilty of. And I told God at the beginning of last year, no more, Lord. If you called me away from off the wall in my church and said, go somewhere, I will go. If you ask me to die for you, I will die. God, I don't know what will happen in that moment, but I trust you'll give me this strength not to back down. God, if you love people who hate me, then help me to love people who hate me. God, if you send me to the slums of the world for the gospel of Jesus, give me the courage to go. Because right now, I do not want to. I like New Philadelphia, I like the church, and I like the ministry. And I don't want to suffer. But God, if you want me to, would you change my heart? Because it's not there yet. And he's doing it. I don't know if you'll send me. <laughs> to be honest with you, deep down, I, hope, <laughs> I kind of hope that's not my call. Just being honest, I'm, I'm fearful of it. But one thing God has had me start to do is minister to the people in my community. I work with a drug rehab, and I don't know. I can tell you stories about how many young men 
I've been able to share the gospel with. I'm working with a young man right now who is about as racist as I've ever seen and was ordered by the court officially to start working. We're building a friendship. He just texted me a couple weeks ago, hey, will you come to my wrestling tournament? But the video he put out was 30 seconds. He said, I want to take all that in. I want to reintroduce slavery. Then I want to take a guac and put it to their heads and kill them. The sheriff called me and said, hey, will you meet with them? And God said, well, Don, what are you going to do? You're going to be the gospel, or you're going to pretend to be this Christian that loves me, and you don't. I called the sheriff back about 30 minutes. I'll meet with him. After 15 minutes of meeting with him, I told him, I said, Cal, you hit the trifecta when it comes to African-American. You called us the N-word. You, you said you want to make us slave, and then you want to put a gun to our head and kill us. I said, that's the trifecta. I said, but honestly, in 15 minutes, I really like you. I said, and if you allow me to, I would like you to get to know me. Not because I'm great, but because in that moment, God said, Don, do you love me? I said, yes, I love you, Lord. He said, then I love Kyle. What are you going to do? Are you praying for opportunities? love those who hate you and go to those places where the light of Jesus is needed more. Are we just going to continue to do this? And then walk out, go eat good food, go home, and watch the world pass us by begging for a Savior to intervene into their lives. I don't know. Can I pray for us? God, I thank you that you have called us. God, I know how a lot of people feel. I feel the same way a lot of time. Lord, this is too hard. And it is in our own strength. It makes no human sense. But God, this is a spiritual battle. And when you have equipped us and given us your Holy Spirit to indwell us so that we may Fight it. God, we won't be able to do this without you. And you are responsible for the outcome, but God, you have called us and told us we're responsible for the work. So God, please, birth in me, birth in us, a desire, God, to be your hands and feet in the darkest places and to those who we think have no desire for you because you might already be working in them and they may be ready for the gospel. So would you help us to be obedient? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us?